0: Okay, here we are, Tracky News, episode five. Um, This is Nick, and I've got a guest today, Max Uval, uh, sprinter extraordinaire, crazy inventor. Um, And we're going to talk about a new project that he's been working on with another crazy inventor. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Max, uh, I'm going to ask you first, like, what's your track cycling background? What are your credentials in the sport? Oh,
1: um, I guess I'm getting close to saying I've done 10 years in the sport, which is nice, um, and have taken it more and less seriously at times. Um, obviously, in 2017, 18, we were taking it pretty seriously and managed to win a couple of medals at the elite track nationals. Um which was which was definitely my highlight so far, and I would say probably the other highlight has been being a a founding member of our wellington sprint squad uh which was originally conceived by Lee Evans as a um a sprint factory to help encourage uh track cyclists into developing their sprinting um with the hope that Wellington would become a source of multiple um, track sprinters. And um, I think at the amateur level, we've been very successful at that, um, which has been a pleasure for me.
0: Good, good. And that you mentioned medals. One of those was an individual medal, am I right?
1: A Kieran yes. Bronze, was yep. it? Yeah, Kieran Bronze was was. Actually, probably my favourite medal. Um, that race was was just still imprinted in my mind as being particularly fun, um, and yeah, it was a bit of a one out of the box, really.
0: I was going to ask, like, do you still remember it or how it went down?
1: Yeah, I I um, sort of rolled the dice. I put on the biggest gear that I could imagine riding. And I knew that if I was going to get anywhere in this race, um, it was going to be about finding the, the wheel to pull me through and being able to keep up with it. And um, I can't remember exactly who it was, whether it was Cullum Saunders or someone like that came through and I managed to hook onto his wheel, had the big gear on and just Grounded out behind him, and got towed through. Um, and yeah, I think other than that, pretty much sucked that wheel all the way around. And one person would have come over me, just on the back straight, and um, and made it. Two people in front of me got the bronze. And um, yeah, that was that was just an absolute career highlight.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean medals at elite level are hard to come by it's an awesome achievement so um and just uh, just cuz this is kind of relevant for what we're going to talk about like what's your flying 200 kind of pb what have you ridden what have what have you ridden on the boards and what have you ridden on wellington uh,
1: the best I've ridden um on the boards was a 107 um and that was that was again something that was you know long time coming flying 200's been an obsession of mine uh, since since I first turned up and um did a did a flying two hundred behind Zach um what's his last name? Can't remember. Williams? No, not Zach Williams. It was our, It was Dempster. our Zach.
0: Huh? Dempster.
1: No, no young guy. Anyway, doesn't matter. Yeah. But um yeah, hooked right from the start. You could say. Um, on Wellington, low 11s. I've done an 11.4. Um, it's probably my fastest. I'd like to get that one a little bit lower still,
0: wouldn't we? All, (laughs) um, okay. And then, what what do you do for a day job? What's your or not day job, actually? What's your kind of engineering background, right? Because you make stuff, right? You've made our starting gate. You mean yeah you're walking around with a fancy pair of handlebars this season. There's rumors that you're gonna make carbon fiber shoes. What's
1: going on? Yeah, I mean I, I grew up around a model making workshop. Um, and and yeah, went to engineering school and, and studied design there and um, have been a bit of a um, a maker. Of of all sorts of things, I've got an attitude that you know if if I if I have an idea, I can bring it to life. Um, and yeah, as you say, um, that's that's been building things like start gates and and handlebars most recently. But um, I yeah have. Yeah, experience Boats, making uh, lots of things. Yeah. I've, I've made a boat, like a, a full-size boat, um, a surfboard, worked worked with all sorts of materials. Um, yeah. It's just, yeah.
0: Awesome. All right. Okay, so let's get into it. What's this project you're working on? So I know, I think when we talked about it, it kind of like clicked. You could probably see my, my like it's like light bulb went off in my head because you kind of went oh you know um this uh pat's building me a bike and it's got a single purpose and it's sort of like to me about three seconds to go flying 200 bike and you're like yep so what's the brainchild here and we'll talk about pat as well in a minute yeah what's the yeah uh, it's come about
1: yeah yeah we'll definitely have to give pat his due here um so (sighs) I guess there's a few things that led to this bike coming about um one of which in a weird way was me having a pretty serious bike crash um and and kind of wrecking my my race bike and um i sort of had some funny feelings about my relationship with bike after that um and one of the things that I did was buy a bike off Pat um, that was a road bike. And um, it was tough and steel. And I felt very conf- confident again on his bike, um, which I, I didn't feel on my carbon fiber bikes. So um, that, was, that was kind of a weird thing but, um the other part of it was Dan Bigham broke the um world hour record using his um engineering design background, and I watched the whole thing i've I've been you know kind of morbidly fascinated with hour records uh, for for a long time, <laughs> and it was really cool watching um a guy who is not the biggest, the best athlete in the world, um, take on that benchmark and, um, and succeed. And one of the bits of data that dropped out of that was that he had achieved a, um, a CDA a, a coefficient of drag and frontal area of around about, about 016 And I had calculated mine to be at about 0.29. And I thought I was doing all right um, as being relatively aerodynamic. So that became a little bit of a um, splinter in my brain, I guess, a little bit of a, how has he managed to go so, so far beyond where I'm at at the moment, and what would be possible if you could sprint somewhere close to that drag coefficient
0: what um out of interest what do you think about right, the top guys in in sprinting what what's that kind of c d a do you think or what
1: do you know to be honest watching them there are still there's there's kind of multiple styles still um there's still very much a big man culture of big, strong sprinters just tearing it up, you know, uh, big power boys. And that's, that's all good. But there are, um, like the Australians particularly, um, Glitzer and Richardson have extremely tucked positions, um, they they manage to bend their elbows a lot to bring their shoulders down and really <clears throat> condense up their torso um, in terms of frontal exposure. So I suspect they are doing pretty well. Um, they still tend to, you know, if you watch them, they they have their elbows pretty wide and. Um, I mean,
0: whatnot. they're just big dudes, right? But there's there's a heap of muscle there. Have got a yeah, right? That, that is partly um, true. is doesn't it make mate. place to have an extra vertebrae or something like that, or one less vertebrae or something? I've he does
1: have a fantastically face. long back, and yeah. um, and so does Dan Biggum, to be honest. Um, yeah. but I am also blessed with a very long torso, so <laughs> <laughs> it's what you I've
0: know. always wanted to,
1: yeah. <laughs> um Matt Richardson is not particularly big um as a as a as a human um and yeah i i guess I can see there is like a trend moving yeah. towards this more aerodynamic sprinter, and that was sort of part of what um prompted me to think about it. One of the challenges with aerodynamics in sprinting is it's such a dynamic um event that recording aerodynamics accurately during that is really difficult um the body positions change a lot um the bikes move around a lot, and even the speed changes quite rapidly from one to one second to the next um there is there is a podcast from the dutch team that talks about that challenge um and they've managed to overcome it a little bit but um it's still it's still a challenge as far as it might be one thing to be able to record what what you're doing but getting down to um the interactions of of airflow over the rider is probably impossible at this stage um so you're kind of guessing and making improvements and then measuring your overall result and seeing how it works.
0: Um, yeah. So, okay, moving on to the, um, how are you going to use this bike to get that CDA solo? how, uh, yeah, what, what's the thought process behind it to kind of get yourself?
1: Well, so this is probably where we touch on Pat. So Pat, um, Builds bikes, obviously. Um, Pat also was a colleague of mine. We we worked together at Human Dynamo Workshop, and um, I was able to see what an amazing designer Pat is during that. He's a real thinker uh, when it comes to design, and he considers things quite carefully and then... <clears throat> makes decisions about how to take them forward. So I sort of felt like... For a while... I don't know. It it, it didn't click immediately that Pat should build a bike for me. It was only... After I started to realize that the kind of bikes that I was looking at were starting to fall into this, they were starting to converge with the bikes that Pat was already rhapsodizing about. Um, that I started to sort of go, okay, yep, maybe, maybe having a, a Crow Rishworth uh That's track bike right. would be pretty, would be pretty special. Um, and that. That's got to do with things like Pat thinking about um, wheelbase um, as being like a key driver of of the design um, rather than, you know, things like top tube length or whatever. That's just sort of something which comes out in the wash. Um, So, yeah, I guess that thinking designer part with Pat was really appealing. Cause when I started talking to him about the sprint bike, mm. um, he was really open to talking about, well, what are we trying to achieve? You know, how can I bring my sprinting experience and he can bring his bike um, design experience. He has a fantastic understanding of how geometry affects handling and whatnot. And um how how we might bring that together and make something quite unique. And I think he was quite excited about the idea of pairing back the requirements to just qualifying in the flying two hundred meter. Mm. So it's, let's let's put aside match sprinting, let's put aside bunch races all of that stuff, the bike is just a design study and going as fast as possible. Mm. Um, I think it's it's
0: probably worth noting how crucial the flying 200 is these days. Like in a sprint comp, you could be doing what? Like mid nine second, 9.5, 9.6 or something to be in contention. And And it's so close. It's like, yeah, you know, you see those kind of, like, result sheets. There's, uh, I don't know, 20 people. What, 20 people at the Nations Cup all going under 10 seconds. Some of those won't qualify. I mean, that's just madness, isn't it? So the Flying 200 is absolutely critical.
1: Oh, it is. It's absolutely. And, and that seeding, it affects, yeah, um, everything about the rest of the sprint competition. Um, and besides which, for me, it's always been... <laughs> Like the benchmark number, it kind of, you know, who who gets the medals in the sprint comp can sort of depend on who turns up, um, but year on year, in terms of performance, you use that qualifying number as the benchmark for whether you manage to get faster. So, to me, that's that's been.
0: So, what are the elements of the bike that then, if you turn, if you rock up at the track what are we going to notice about it assuming when it's built and ready to go and all that sort of stuff? What's what's going to be different?
1: So what we, what we initially talked about was like some kind of settled aspects, uh, which was that the bike would have the maximum wheel base possible under the UCI regulations that I would be riding it at the, um, the UCI limit as far as how far forward the handlebars could go. So that would be hundred millimeters forward of the front wheel. And then it was sort of going, okay, well, what else would we push to get the bike aerodynamic? Right. And we sort of looked at TT bikes for inspiration and we talked about like one of the things which you probably wouldn't notice straight away, but is definitely a big part of the project is is the bottom bracket height. So um I sort of went, look, you know, should get the bot we should make this as low and long as possible. Um and I think Pat quite liked that idea, and and he he sort of challenged me to how low are we talking? <laughs> and I was like, I want to go, I want to go well off the beaten track with yeah. how low we're talking. I, I don't want this to be like on the low side of a off-the-shelf frame. Um, and and so we set up a little little testing regime to figure out um, how far you can push it before you start to actually crash your pedals into the banking.
0: Does this mean shorter cranks as well?
1: Yeah. So, yeah. This, and this is, this is part of what's interesting about it is once you start to push these design objectives up in terms of priority, you start to ask yourself lots of questions about the other things like, the crank length um, yeah. I'd already sort of resolved to go with a shorter crank um, and um, by shorter crank we're sort of going like the the maximum crank length for the bike would be 155 and I would yeah. most likely be doing the the initial runs with it Uh, using a 150 crank um so pretty decently short but then you're also going you know um when you're thinking about your your strike angle in Mm. terms of how far the bike can lean over before it starts hitting pedals q factor becomes really important as well how narrow can you make it Mm. what kind of um pedals and cleats have you got on there are they costing you unnecessary lean angle um and and yeah so there's been there's been a lot of attention paid to to that um i think another area that i i can see there are bikes going this way um but it's not traditional but a slightly higher um front end so that um
0: mm-hmm
1: head tube um, is not super slammed. Um, and that's, that's again, kind of following um, the TT position and realizing that, you know, those riders aren't um, obsessing about how low they are. They're obsessing about how aerodynamic their torso is mm. um, and bringing their elbows and arms really close in is seeming to be far more important than <coughs> the um, the height of their shoulders necessarily. Mm. So um, that has been, um, yeah, part of what drove me towards um, designing handlebars and. And they're sort of designed in in mind of this whole bike.
0: So, so. for your, just for you regarding your handlebars, so you, you turned up sort of at the end of the season with these things, which just about meet the minimum width according to the UCI, right? Um, at the very end of the hooks. Um, but as you kind of like move your hands into the curve of the bars where you kind of sit when you're, sort of full noise they're much narrower so how? they even what, what are they like 30 centimeters at the narrowest point or something
1: no so they're 240 millimeters at the narrowest point so wow. 24 okay. centimeters so yeah. um yeah consider considerably narrower than what um any other bars are available <clears throat> commercially hmm. bars have narrowed recently um you can you can buy a range of bars in a thirty centimeter configuration, um, but I wanted to I wanted to test out going even narrower, um, and they've been really quite interesting to ride. I think um, they they definitely support a really tight position. Mm-hmm. My hands are nearly at my chin when I'm in, in full tuck mode. So I am getting my arms and, um, yeah, my arms are getting in close to my torso, which is, which is, I guess one of the, one of the things we're aiming for.
0: Yeah. I mean, it makes, it makes total sense when you see it, I suppose it's one of the, so sort of obvious. Um, um, okay. So, this bike is purely for flying two hundreds, right? Does yep. this mean you're gonna rock up to a spring comp sometime next year with two bikes?
1: Well, this is this is kind of one of the things that I was thinking about. And and again, like as a design yeah. study, it's what um is is driving out questions like that. You know, you're going, okay, if you've got qualification for the Olympics on the line here are you going to ride the same cockpit configuration that you're going to use for your match sprints? Like, should you not be going out there and just trying to achieve this, you know, incredible qualifying time on a bike that is set up for that purpose and then jumping across onto a bike that you can match sprint?
0: I, look, I, I think it's <laughs> uh, absolutely makes sense. And, you know, when you kind of, said it to me, it was like, well, of course, you know, why wouldn't you do that? Um My, okay, my question to you would be, does this not make the elite side of the sport even more elite? <laughs> All right, you're not, you know, you're going to have the Dutch team turning up with a whole stack of flying 200 bikes and then their match sprint bikes versus the teams at the lower end who've just got no hope. They've got no hope already, you know what I mean? I mean, you can feel the UCI are going to might sort of cotton onto it or I don't know. Um, What do you think about that? What's your kind of take?
1: Look, I I mean, I think that those opportunities are always there until someone takes them. (laughs) Um, So, um, you know, it's, I'm a big fan of the America's cup, for instance, and that is a sport that is just um, the history is full of teams that have managed to look in between the rules and find opportunity. Uh, so if there is opportunity there, I mean, I, which you know, I hope there is, then then great. Um, and it'd be amazing if you know, I, I, if Pat and I can make an impression on anyone um through this project that'd be that'd be pretty cool.
0: That's a fair point. Yeah. So how is Pat going um with the actual making of it? Is he in production yet?
1: Yeah. He is, he is. He's he's been working on making the the headset and um he's been collecting up um bits and pieces for it. He managed to find uh some columbus max uh rear chain stays awesome chain stay um which are the most beautifully massive <laughs> steel chain stays i've ever seen so i'm very excited about those um and one of the areas that pat's been really interested in has been tube profile um he loves working in steel um and I think it can be a little bit hard finding aerodynamic tubing that mm. is mold and steel. Um, so he's done um, a few things. One of which was um, he actually, he bent up some um, tubes out of, out of uh, sheet metal mm-hmm. uh, which has been a, a good experiment um, and he's also you know managed to acquire some slightly heavier but aerodynamic um, tubes mm. uh, which he's got some ideas about how he'll integrate the, the their profiles into the overall frame Um and I'm quite confident that he'll he'll manage that really well, um, and it'll be a be a nice result in the end. Um, we had one, uh, what would you call it? A design avenue that we pursued around uh, cam, cam tail tube profiles. What, which is where- what is that? so a, a cam tail is a truncated aerofoil, so um the the leading edge and and um through to the maximum cord is is typical of an aerofoil shape, and then somewhere behind the maximum cord length uh, it it cuts off and the the way the air flows from that point on, sort of creates a virtual airfoil behind the, um, the the tube. And in some cases, it had been shown to be very efficient. And it is very efficient up to a point. Um, we, through doing a bunch of stuff reading doing some CAD modeling and some, um, some, um, what do you call it? Computational flow analysis. Um, we realized that although it is, um, as good in certain applications, it was not going to be as aerodynamic as just straight aerodynamic, uh, aerofoil, um, tubes. <clears throat> so, um, for the most part, I think we're now back onto
0: leak
1: yeah. tubes rather than camtails. tails, but it was yeah. it's definitely um, an interesting avenue and, and one that was, uh, yeah, good learning to follow.
0: I mean, I've no doubt Pat will turn out something absolutely amazing and yeah. high quality. I mean, as a user of one of his bikes, I can certainly vouch for him. It's the best bike I've ever ridden. Don't think I'll ever want to buy another track bike. And absolutely love it. So yeah, um for sure it's gonna be an awesome thing to see. So you reckon we'll have it by uh start of the season?
1: Oh, I'd expect so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um
0: will it be green? Will it be in Crow Rishworth green?
1: It has to be green. That was that was specified um up front by Pat. He um yeah, he's he owns the design and he um he chooses the color and i was quite quite happy to to um agree to that because i think it's yeah it's, it's the green machine
0: all right we've got like less than a minute on this zoom recording so it's probably a good opportunity to wrap it up but you, max really looking forward to seeing this in action Expect uh, nothing so less than amazing flying 200 times next season, though. Eh?
1: Yeah, I better get my training program into action. Eh? Yeah. yeah,
0: all right, nice one. Thanks for that. Thank you, Nick. All right, See yeah.